Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokens and tokens And non-token lovers of liberty It's Wednesday, March 23rd, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Thanks for joining us In the middle of this week We're still coming to you live from Scottsdale, Arizona, where it is once again blue skies, not a cloud in sight, temperatures in the upper 70s, maybe it's even up into the 80s right now, and uh, Arizona is recovering from the presidential primaries that took place yesterday. There's been some uh, concern about some shenanigans. Apparently, far too few polling places open up in the uh, Latino areas and the more populated areas of Tucson and uh, Phoenix, people standing in line for five hours or more in the hot Phoenix sun in order to cast their votes. Come on, America, let's get this thing together. It should be so easy to vote in this country. You know, people often bring up, well, nobody votes. We have such low turnout. Nobody votes. Well, yeah, who who can take five hours off of their workday in the, in the middle of the week to stand in line in a hot sun for a primary vote? You know, you get amazing results when you do something like uh, voting on American Idol, let's say, because people can do it easily. They can do it electronically. They can do it from the comfort of their own home. You want to see voter participation rates go up. It's time to start adopting what the Pacific Northwest has done, Washington and Oregon. And I think there's a couple other states now that do this where all of the voting is done by mail. Uh, It's such a wonderful thing, folks. I receive a booklet, a a big, thick booklet with every candidate, with every uh, initiative petition, with every bond vote listed out, the arguments for it, the arguments against it. This gets sent out to every registered voter by mail weeks before the election, weeks. You have time to study and figure out who's who and what's what. You can highlight it. You can write in it. You can keep your little voter guide. And then later you receive in the mail your ballot, the little uh, bubble sheet that you fill in. You can go back to your guide. You can spend days filling it in if you want. You can talk to your family and friends as you fill out your ballot. You mail that in and that's it. You're done. No standing in line, no waiting for polls, no making sure that you got a, a proper registration or not. This just seems to be such a, a no brainer for America that we should go to complete vote by mail. It, it, uh, It answers the problem of having a voter verified paper trail. You'll have a a, a voter's own ballot that they can take a picture of before they send it in. It makes so much sense that, yeah, it's really no surprise we haven't adopted it nationwide yet, huh? (laughs) I I bet if we had nationwide vote by mail, we would have such better turnout and we would get better chances on our voter initiatives because more of our people would be able to vote for them. Anyway, something to think about as we continue this election season, but let's talk about what's on the show today. Coming up on our show, we've got an edition of our Reformers Reader. We've got a new author joining us, Josh Haupt, and uh, he is the author of a new book called Three Alight. 
a revolutionary cannabis growing guide. So we'll talk to Joshua uh, at half past the hour in our Reformers Reader segment. Coming up in the Radical Rant today, I'm going to talk a little bit about the insanity of prenatal drug testing, how we're throwing new mothers in jail because their infants turn up positive for drugs, usually marijuana. We've got to look at that study that's out, getting a lot of headlines today about how marijuana users do worse in midlife than non-users. I'll explain why. It's pretty obvious. And also, Harper's Magazine blows up the war on drugs and the racism behind it with a quote from former Nixon aide Ehrlichman, John Ehrlichman. We'll talk about that all coming up on The Russ Belleville Show. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Earn your PhD in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, March 23, 2016. Last week, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, released an updated set of guidelines for prescribing opioids to patients suffering from chronic pain. Buried inside the language of this attempt to put a leash on the prescription painkiller epidemic, the CDC urged doctors to modify their drug screening policies in an effort to prevent those testing positive for THC metabolites from being disqualified from treatment. 
although the agency wrote that it still believes urine testing is necessary to discover any undisclosed use of illicit substances. It specifically states that this rule no longer applies to THC. Interestingly, the latest guidelines for prescribing painkillers come just a month after Senator Elizabeth Warren fired off a letter to CDC Director Tom Friedman urging his agency to research the effectiveness of medical marijuana as an alternative to opioids for pain treatment in states where it is legal. The letter also asked the CDC to study the impact of the legalization of medical and recreational marijuana on opioid overdose deaths. A new report says the production of illegal marijuana has dropped dramatically in recent years in Washington state. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration says the number of marijuana plants seized in Washington state in 2014 was 57,000, about 80% less than what was seized in 2010. Over that same period, the amount of processed marijuana seized dropped from 3,126 pounds of product to 635 pounds, less than a quarter of what agencies had found five years ago. The Yakima Herald Republic says that Washington State Patrol attributes the drop to increased air reconnaissance and joint cooperation between state, local, and federal law enforcement. California consistently leads the nation in illegal marijuana production, with more than 2.6 million plants seized in 2014. Marijuana's black market and highway safety topped the agenda to open the first week of testimony in the Vermont House on legalization. The House Judiciary Committee took testimony Tuesday on S-241, a bill to allow the legal use, possession, cultivation, and distribution of marijuana in 2018 from officials representing state police, prosecutors, and sheriffs. Among the witnesses offering testimony was Major Glenn Hall, who oversees the Bureau of Criminal Investigation and the Drug Task Force for Vermont State Police. Hall began by questioning an assumption offered by pro-legalization advocates, legal sales will eliminate the black market. Dallas City Council voted not to try a six-month pilot program in the city of Dallas that would have allowed people caught with a small amount of marijuana to avoid jail time, instead being released with a citation and a summons to show up in court. The council voted 10 to 5 against the cite and release program, which was opposed by Dallas Police Chief David Brown. The program would have gone into effect in September and lasted through March, so the city could assess the results and see what impact it had. The cite and release program would not have changed the current penalties for marijuana possession. It would just allow police to issue a citation and a summons to appear in a Dallas courtroom, as opposed to immediately taking those possessing small amounts of the drug to jail. According to a Facebook post from council member Scott Griggs, 2% of Dallas Police Department arrests are for possession of small amounts of marijuana. He called it a, quote, substantial use of Dallas Police Department resources, end quote. An 80-year-old man who ran a sprawling marijuana dealing operation that covered several states, with records going back to 1992, was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Marshall Dion pleaded guilty last year to drug and money laundering charges, and Tuesday's sentencing in Massachusetts was the latest chapter in a long, colorful history with law enforcement. When police in Junction City, Kansas stopped him for speeding in 2013, they found about $828,000 in cash in his pickup. A federal investigation led authorities to Massachusetts and Arizona, where they found about $15 million in cash, nearly 400 pounds of marijuana, and ledgers detailing drug deals going back to 1992. Earlier this month, U.S. District Judge Denise Casper rejected a plea ad agreement that called for a five- to seven-year prison sentence for Dion. His lawyers then reached a new agreement with prosecutors that called for a sentence range of five to ten years. Judge Denise Casper sentenced him to the maximum during a hearing in U.S. District Court. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, March 23rd, 2016. 
I'm Russ Belville. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You know, during Dance with the Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah. And not only that, I was doing these old man smells. And yeah. it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, the, all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew, you know, they were all young kids. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts, you know, that you don't know you're doing it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you smell, and everybody go, what the hell smells? And, you know, and you knew it was me. And, and so I'd scurry off to the bathroom, you know. And that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The Tommy Chunk Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts. From the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the headline, Legalize It All, How to Win the War on Drugs. This is a front page article that is blowing people's minds. It's coming from Harper's Magazine. And it opens up with a quote that uh, is no surprise, no shock to those of us that have been working in marijuana law reform, but has really opened the eyes of the mainstream this week. I'm seeing multiple reports about this particular article, in particular, the uh, citation of the quote from John Ehrlichman. Now, it's important for us to understand that this quote is not new. This is not something that was just unearthed. It goes back to an interview from 1994. So this is something we've known about the war on drugs for about 22 years now. But he admitted in an interview in 1994, uh, Ehrlichman died in 99. So five years before he died in 1994, he issued the following quote. The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. 
You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. End quote. So this is a clear admission by one of the aides of Richard Nixon that the whole meaning behind his 1971 war on drugs, declaring drugs public enemy number one, we really know now who he was declaring public enemy number one and two, the anti-war left and black people. It's clear that this war on drugs was generated as a method of stifling Nixon's political opponents. And lest we forget that it's not just Richard Nixon who was a major architect of this war on drugs and its racist effects. Keep in mind that every president since Richard Nixon has gone along with this war on drugs and could easily see that it was being perpetrated for racist purposes. We look forward to the era of Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush when they, abetted by Tip O'Neill and a democratically controlled Congress, along with Senator Joe Biden at the time, pushed for mandatory minimum sentencing and three strikes laws. We saw President Bill Clinton follow that era up with his infamous crime bill that even he now admits fueled the mass incarceration situation that we are dealing with today. We can see it in the prosecution of medical marijuana from the end of the Clinton administration through the George W. Bush administration and even the Barack Obama administration. Every one of them can see the reports that have come out from the ACLU and the Marijuana Arrest Research Project that have shown that the arrests, prosecutions, and incarceration for black people in the war on drugs are two, three, four, sometimes eight times as great for black people than white people. It's been so obvious to so many of us for so long, and not just since Ehrlichman, and not just since Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon and John Ehrlichman were merely the sequel to the original racist drug war that started in the 1930s under Harry J. Anslinger, where the entire purpose of criminalizing marijuana was to go after the Mexicans and their loco weed. The entire purpose of the anti-opium laws was to go after the Chinese and their opium dens. And the entire purpose of the anti-cocaine laws were to go after the Negroes, as they called them back in the day, who might look at the white women or might think they're as good as a white man. The racism has been endemic in this war on drugs. It's been the entire purpose of this war on drugs. So I'm excited that now in 2016, Harper's Magazine is repurposing a 22-year-old quote about the war on drugs to get people to understand the racist nature of it. But it's just shocking and surprising to me that it's taken this long to get the mainstream to understand what this has always been about. 
marijuana has been legal for older white people for quite a long time in that you're unlikely to get caught. And even if you do, you're likely to get a slap on the wrist. It's time to end this racist war on drugs and begin healing these communities. I know it, it seems like such a simple message, just say no, but it's an important one. And there she is, Nancy Reagan, the recently passed first lady, second wife of President Ronald Reagan, and one of the major, major implementers of this racist war on drugs. Happy 420 to the folks in the Mountain Time Zone who celebrate that uh, Daylight Savings Time thing. We'll catch up to you in an hour here in Arizona. Stay tuned. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in cannabisradio.com. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. (laughs) Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the the king, right? You just have, you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. (laughs) The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Data Mines, we experience that uh, that situation that happens so many times uh, in the uh, reporting of marijuana studies, and that is when a good study comes out about marijuana, Oh, you might get two or three hits in some obscure websites here and there. But when there's a story that portends some sort of harm from marijuana, it's all over the media. And that story today 
I found it on Newsweek. I found it on USA Today, all sorts of outlets, is a new study that came out that says regular marijuana use is linked to problems in midlife. I'm reading this from uh, the Oregonian's uh, write-up of this. It says, a study that followed children from birth to midlife found that heavy marijuana users who smoked for years often fared worse as adults than their parents. Many ended up in jobs that paid less, required fewer skills, and were less prestigious. That wasn't so much the case for other people. This was published today in the Journal of Clinical Psychological Science and found that marijuana users who smoked at least four times a week experienced more financial difficulties, such as problems with debt and food insecurity, than their parents. Their lives were fraught with more social problems, too. Now, they say that they tried to control for some variables. They say other studies have associated heavy and persistent marijuana use with problems in adulthood, but haven't always ruled out other factors. This research tried to do that by tracking and comparing variables such as intelligence, family structure, gender, ethnicity, parental substance abuse, criminal convictions, and antisocial behavior and depression in childhood. In accounting for so many variables, researchers made the study's conclusions stronger, they said, but acknowledge there may be unknown factors that they didn't track. Well, let me, uh, <laughs> let me see if I can uncover a couple of these unknown factors they didn't track. First of all, when you tell me long-term cannabis smokers, people using four times a week or more, ended up in jobs that paid less, required fewer skills, and were less prestigious, I wonder if you're taking into account the fact that the jobs that pay more, require greater skills, and have more prestige are often jobs that drug test. A lot of the people who would be very skilled at those jobs but happen to be cannabis consumers don't bother even attempting to get those jobs because of the drug tests. So, yeah, there's a bit of a self-selection bias here. I can't tell you how many of the, well, like I can tell you, 13 of the 15 years that I worked in information technology, I worked as a contractor. So I made less money. I had a less prestigious uh, position and I required fewer skills for that job because contractors didn't have to take P tests. So I'd end up doing uh, uh, software instruction, technical education or desktop support when I actually have the skills for network analysis, security design, database programming and so forth. But since those jobs required a P test, I couldn't get them. So, of course, I ended up with less prestige, less financial support. They go on and they say these people have more problems with debt and food insecurity. Well, we understand the debt problem, right? Can't get the good job because of the P-test. Or you lose a job and the security that comes with it, the retirement, the insurance, the health insurance and so forth. You lose that job because of a P-test. Now you're underemployed or unemployed. Yeah, you're going to have more problems with debt. And as far as food insecurity, we've got so many of these places that are so many of these states now that want to do drug testing for welfare, that want to try to find some way of keeping poor people from getting some sort of assistance, then yeah, it's really no shock that we're finding that the long-term cannabis consumers end up with a lesser lot in life. If they really want to do this study, they should try and find out what would happen to Let's say coffee drinkers, people that drink coffee on a daily basis, 
If coffee were illegal, if they had to go to a criminal black market to try to access their coffee, if they ever got caught with coffee, they could lose their job, lose their scholarships, lose their financial aid. And any place you want to go to work, there's a test to determine whether or not you've ever used caffeine in the past week and random tests from time to time to detect whether or not you've used caffeine. Do you think we would probably have fewer caffeine drinkers, fewer coffee drinkers doing as well as their parents did? Do you think maybe they'd have more social problems, more debt, more food insecurity? Now, they want to try to paint this as some problem with cannabis users. But like I have said so many times, so long as cannabis is illegal, so long as it's socially disapproved of, so long as there is a stigma and a criminality surrounding it, you cannot tease out any accurate data about the drug effects from the prohibition effects. Now, the, the author of this says they have more antisocial behavior at work, lying to get a job, stealing money, more relationship problems, intimate partner violence, and so forth. But again, if you're in a situation where you are deemed to be a criminal, then that mindset starts to take effect on you. And the situations you end up in life with less money, less security, lead to more stress, lead to more interpersonal problems, and can lead to more antisocial behavior just to try to get ahead. Lying to get a job? Yeah, that could be lying about whether or not you used cannabis so that you can try to get the damn job. So don't accept what you're hearing from the mainstream media about this. It's impossible to determine what regular cannabis use actually does to someone when the prohibition causes far more problems than the drug itself. All right, when we come back, we'll have author Joshua Haupt on the line. We're going to talk about his new book, Realite. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. 
visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your Fired Up Lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. The best weapon you can have in the Prohibition War is your mind. Fill your head with the knowledge you need by checking out this latest entry in the Russ Belleville Show's Reformers Reader. Welcome back, everybody. In the Reformers Reader today, we're joined by author Joshua Haupt. Uh, Joshua, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a big fan of your show. I appreciate uh, you guys inviting me on. Very honored. Very, very happy to have you here. And uh, where are you calling us from today? calling you from Denver, Colorado. Oh, lucky you in Denver. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your book. It's called Three Alight, and it's not just a, a cannabis grow book, but also kind of your story. So let's give people a little uh, forward to the book, so to speak. Tell people about your background and what brought you to writing this book, Three Alight. Uh, what the, the Reader's Digest version um, of the background would be, obviously, I was diagnosed with uh, epilepsy around 14, and I definitely struggled with a slew of medications like anybody else um, that has epilepsy. Um, was able to gain access to med- medical cannabis when I was about 18, and we quickly wanted to begin growing it ourselves. Um, of course, I was like any other um, user gardener at the gate that I was just trying to learn as much as I could from bits and pieces here through a High Times Magazine article or a you know, a piece of, you know, Ori or Cervantes or Ed Rosenthal's information. Those are great go-to sources as well. And the weeds began growing. Um, a few years into it, I, I met someone who was growing with techniques that were very unique and pulled yields that were far and above ours as well as the flower quality was far and above anything I'd ever seen before. And so we started growing that way. Um, with these yields, you know, we went from a pound of light to three pounds of light, and the flower itself is just, it comes through in the same, some, same way. Um, it has to reach essentially the healthiest point of its life to be able to achieve that number anyways. Um, so with, uh, with that, I started teaching my friends how to do it, um, so that way they could be better for themselves, and, you know, have, more, have access, easier access to more medicine, and most importantly, a higher quality level of medicine. And... Over the years of teaching others, it kind of just hit me on the head after I set up my probably 15 friend of, hey, you know, you got to write a book on this because there's really nothing out there that, you know, um, that runs it from, hey, this is what you do all the way from seed to a uh, finished flower. And this is how you achieve, you know, this level of organization in your garden when it comes to uh, kind of more of a structured approach to the garden, if you will. Hmm. And so we kind of, the book itself lays out A to Z on you know how to have a very healthy garden, um, but we also make it, it's not literature overwhelming read. It's very photo friendly. We try and keep it as simple as possible. It's almost as if Apple or, you know, um, a very user friendly company designed a, uh, a how to. Yeah, looking at the book itself, uh, big full full bleed pictures, uh, high res color photography, and you've got a system of kind of uh, icons going along with it, so everybody knows exactly where you're at, what you're talking about, what 
stage of the process you're in. And uh, the title of the book, uh, again, is Three Alight. You can find out more at the website, threealight.com. And that's the words, T-H-R-E-E, A-Light.com. And uh, that refers to the three pounds per light. Is that what you're saying? Or is it three plants per light? It's three pounds per light. Uh, most gardens, as you know, if they have 20 lights in there or even four lights, they probably pull about a pound to a pound and a half a light. That's going to be your average, if you will. Um, we are going to teach you how to pull three pounds of light. Wow. And um, this is, in your garden. And this we're, is revolutionary we're because we're, we, we see Thank that, you. like you say, one pound, one and a half pounds per light for most of the people. And, and now you're saying, you know, doubling or tripling that, that yield. How did you manage to find, figure out these techniques that, uh, that we haven't heard yet from Ed Rosenthal or, or Jorge Cervantes? Uh, and how'd you come, how'd you come to this, this revolution? You know, I, I, can only take a certain degree of credit with this. Um, this was taught to me from a mentor, like I said, uh, probably eight years ago. Mm. Um, he showed me he showed me the way on how how he has done it and how his mentor taught him. So there's over 30 years of growing experience into this method. Um, I've just we've been tweaking it over the years that I've been doing it, and you know I've just been blessed. It's all about you know your net your net worth, and this world is your net work. And I happened to meet the right person that showed me how to you know do things on a different level and really opened my eyes in the garden for what's possible. Yeah. And now we're north of, you know, four alight with most of our strains. So it's very wow. easy for me to stand behind the three alight number when it comes to teaching individuals how to be, you know, um, a top shelf gardener for themselves and also keeping it simple. Um, I feel like a lot of people and, you know, you, you get, a lot of people have the tendency to overcomplicate this and there's a way to keep it simple. Um, and that's what we that's what we strive for. Yeah, so. and, and especially you know when we're dealing with uh, medical marijuana states that either have some sort of canopy limit or some sort of plant count limit, being able to maximize what yes. you're getting out of those lights is crucial. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little yeah, bit about I mean, coming from that, that. That that's what the situation is that developed the book because we were all medical users that had limited plant counts, and so if you wanted to do well for yourself with limited plant count and have a decent amount of medicine between harvests, you, you know, quickly wanted to learn the most efficient way to grow. Sure. Now, uh, as, as you've been talking about this, you mentioned how you've got some strains now that are, that are approaching four a light, four pounds per light. Yes, is, is this technique strain dependent? Do some strains do better under this technique than others? Of course, you're going to have all strains, especially with how many, you know, how far we are away from a true indica or a true sativa. Sure. Every strain seems to be a hybrid of another now. Um, the closer you are to the genetic makeup, i.e. the closer true OG you have, a true push, it's always going to perform stronger and do better. Um, but we have been able to achieve, we've tested this theory over hundreds of strains. We achieved three plus a light with all of our strains. The only one I ever got stuck at was Purple Wreck. Mm. I got stuck with Purple Wreck at about two and a half pounds of light. Um, but other than that, it's not strain specific. Um, you can definitely apply these. It's a, it's a one size fits most for not only the methods that we apply it with, but also the feed regimen that we follow it with. Um, you know how we do it, and if you don't have a copy yet, I definitely want to get you a copy. Um, yes, yes. And you can uh, take the Pepsi challenge for yourself. I, I'd I'm, love to. Yeah, you know, 
I would love, love to take children. advantage of this for my new yeah. uh, my new right in the state of Oregon to grow my four plants at home. Uh, that definitely sounds like something Wonderful. we could use. Uh, check it out, folks. It's Three Alight is the book. It's at threealight.com. We're speaking with Joshua Haupt. He's the author and uh, a medical marijuana patient who's been dealing with epilepsy since teenage. And, you know, Joshua, we see a lot of these stories out about these kids, these, these, these little kids that are using these CBD oils to get past their epilepsy. Uh, you're a bit older than that. Uh, give folks a little idea about what you had to go through before you managed to get to cannabis. What sort of terrible drugs you had to be put on? Yeah, you know, I mean, to give you just, I'll just, we can just speak about the results. I started having fused at 14. Um, I was bald by 19, um, oh. overweight, uh, you, you name it, I dealt with it all. And, and all I wanted to do was put you on this medication, put you on that medication, and really just give you a bunch of medication that, quite frankly, had a, a developing liver can't handle. And the, the, the craziest thing is, um, the moment I tried CBDs was the only moment, and this wasn't even that long ago, um, you know, it was the only moment that I immediately felt as if I didn't have epilepsy anymore. Wow. It's crazy. When you, when you have epilepsy and epileptics can relate to this, you almost feel like your brain has the speed wobbles. Like you're on a skateboard, you're yeah. going too fast and it starts to wobble, but you can't bail because you're going to have to outrun it. So you kind of feel like if you have epilepsy, your brain has speed wobbles. Huh. And when you take a CBD oil, oh my goodness, it almost like buckles it in. You're like, oh, all right. <sighs> okay, I'm good. I can go through my day now. And... I, you know, I'm such an advocate for it only because I'm first and foremost. And then you hear about, you know, my AC guy, he moved out here with his daughter from the East coast because his daughter's six years old, keeps having seizures. She was having over 200 seizures a month. Okay. It's just, just terrible, you know, to go through that. She's only had, I think a handful of seizures in the last year Yeah. from this, Yeah. you know, it's just, um, I I get very passionate about it just because. It's one of those things that, and then obviously something just happened today on the FDA, not approving cannabinoids and it's just for CBDs and it just uh, it hurts my heart because sure. there's a lot of kids out there that got to go through the same gamut that I went through with their parents getting all hurt and everybody's got to watch them have seizures. When all you got to do is allow interstate trafficking of something that is proven to help these kids. Yeah. And there's no THC in there, so it's not getting them messed up. It's just helping their brain work. Yeah, that's all it is. Give them another spoke on the wheel that they were missing because they were born that way, and it's not their fault. Right, and and Joshua, you know, as a teenager, you're you get uh, access to cannabis and you start to find some success with it. But uh, it sounds to me like you were the victim of a lot of us that, that a lot of us are of of prohibition. How it, it bred CBD out of plants. So those first few plants and strains that you got a hold of uh, were they good but not great? Exactly, and you know, and over the years now we have. On agriculture chemists on the team that we're, we, we're pushing hard for CBDs. Those are the biggest things that we are concerned about. You know, CBDs are going to be huge and it allows us to, like, guess that give back. And I don't, I don't know any other story that, you know, gets closer to your heart than hearing about a kid that's struggling with seizures and you are able to relieve that on a level that doesn't cause them to lose their hair at 19, them to deal with weight issues earlier in life than they should. You know, I work hard. Now I'm all about a sharp mind, so I'm in the gym every day. Um, that's a huge part of my epilepsy battle. I haven't taken any medication for the last five years. Hmm. Um, it's been great. I've been doing very well other than my CBDs, of course, as well as a healthy, fit, active lifestyle. Try to keep the stress low. I have the daily joint, of course, that helps me with that. And then some good, you know, some good rest. And that's my, that's my medication against epilepsy. Cause have you been using the, uh, the three light techniques on any CBD dominant strains and gotten re- results from those? 
Absolutely. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, we are. We're definitely working. A lot of people think that it's just Charlotte's Web that comes through, and we're doing a lot of uh, internal research on our end, trying to even push harder for for new ones. We have quite a few plans in the work to even further that road. That's awesome. The book is called Three Alight. It's the story of Joshua Haupt, who's overcome epilepsy and come up with a revolutionary new growing technique that could double or triple your yield of uh, medical cannabis. So check this out at threealight.com. And Joshua, you got any uh, events that you're going to be at or any contact information you'd like to tell our listeners about? Um, yeah, we. If, if anybody has any questions about the book, always reach out to info at threealight. We've sold now a few hundred books. And it seems like every every one out of every few books I sell, there's always someone that comes at me and tells me I made my book too simple, and and they you know they know more than me, and, and I'm the idiot. <laughs> and it's, it's always kind of kind of funny and interesting. But you know we encourage them to reach out to us. Out of the out of all the books we sold, I've had three people that have done this, and now these three individuals are close friends of mine, and I've spoke with them personally. So it's one of those things where we kind of take you on as a as a partner and we want to help you do well if you want to spend the five hundred dollars on the book because it's not cheap we all know that and you know when we're giving away some intellectual property here that allows you to you know as you can see your return on investment comes very quickly yes even with one light on one harvest let alone multiple light with multiple harvests. well thank you, know. you joshua for your input on this we appreciate it we encourage everyone to check out threealight.com This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. From dabs to chivas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. 
that marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Today for the rant, I am going to lavish some praise on one of the I-states and drugs. You know the I-states, right? Illinois, Iowa, Idaho, and Indiana. And uh, usually when I tell a story about one of the I-states and a law they've passed regarding drugs, it's not good news. But today, in one of those rare moments, I actually get to praise the state of Indiana. I know. Hold on to your hats, folks. <laughs> we are going to praise the state of the of Indiana and not just the state, but their Republican governor, Mike Pence. I, you know, uh, you'd have to search far and wide for me to say something good about this guy. But today is the day. So mark it on your calendars, folks. I have something good to say about Indiana. On March 21st, the governor of Indiana, Mike Pence, signed Senate Bill 186 into law. This bill prohibits doctors and other individuals involved in prenatal care from informing the cops of the results of a drug screening program done on a pregnant woman. I don't know if you know a whole lot about this uh, epidemic out there, but throughout the United States, we have a situation where pregnant women will come in for prenatal care and get their ultrasounds and the other tests and the vitamins and all the things they need. And they'll also be given a drug screening, a urine test usually. And if that urine test comes up positive for illicit drugs, in many cases, these women are then reported to law enforcement under the guise of protecting the children from child endangerment, danger to the fetus from the woman using an illicit substance. Indiana's new law has changed that, has made it so that these doctors and nurses and other uh, uh, health professionals are not what we call mandatory reporters. Under Illinois law, or Indiana law, excuse me, a doctor or caregiver involved in prenatal care is a mandatory reporter and must contact authorities if he or she believes a child is being abused. Now, Indiana law doesn't specifically say that smoking pot while you're pregnant is child abuse, but some states have gone beyond that and said that, yes, it is. In Tennessee, for example, they require a drug screening of a pregnant mother and prosecutors can charge the mother with aggravated assault, not just child endangerment, aggravated assault with a penalty of up to 15 years in prison if she's caught using illegal drugs during pregnancy. Congratulations, ma'am. You just delivered a healthy baby boy. But since you're a pot smoker, you won't get to see him until he's 15. So Indiana has now passed this law to remove that requirement. And the reason why had nothing to do with marijuana. It was drafted in response to the epidemic in heroin and painkiller abuse in Indiana. This rise in drug abuse, actual drug abuse, you know, opioids, toxic and addictive drugs, has led to complications at birth because of the drug use. And when women are using these hard drugs, 
during pregnancy, there's heightened risks of premature birth, low birth weight, and natal death. So uh, the babies can also be born with addictions themselves and have to spend a lot of time in the neonatal intensive care unit. But again, we're talking heroin, oxycodone, fentanyl, heavy-duty toxic addictive drugs. And the reason why this law got passed with respect to heroin and these opioid painkillers is that a lot of the professionals in healthcare believe, rightly so, that this punitive approach to drug use by pregnant women only has the effect of incentivizing pregnant women from staying away from any sort of neonatal care. If you've got a woman who's abusing oxycodone while she's pregnant and you threaten her by take, of, of taking her kids away and throwing her in prison, she's a whole lot less likely to go to see the doctor and nobody will know that she's using oxycodone while she's pregnant. So the new Indiana law has a, a, a shield kind of a a limited shield for these pregnant women uh, applying to verbal screenings or questioning about drug or alcohol use. It applies to urine tests. It applies to blood tests. So if the woman just mentions that she's using drugs, if a pee test turns up positive for metabolites or a blood test turns up for active metabolites, that information cannot be given to law enforcement agencies without the patient's consent or a court order. Imagine that. Indiana has actually made the medical decisions between a doctor and a patient, the medical consultations between a doctor and a patient, solely the business of the doctor and the patient. What do you know? We're getting cops out of the healthcare field. This is something that needs to be taken up by every state in the nation and kudos to Indiana for pioneering this in the Rust Belt. The more we continue to punish pregnant women who use illicit substances, the worse outcomes we will have for the children as those women are incentivized to keep quiet about their use. We've seen this in the prenatal drug testing. We've also seen it in postnatal drug testing. There's a a procedure that'll be done with newborn infants, which is where they'll test the meconium of the infant, which is a fancy term for first baby poop, right? The, The fetus builds up poop while it's in the womb, right? Once the baby's born, that first poop is from while it was in the womb, all the, the, the nutrients and such it was receiving from the mother. And they'll test. I know you're shaking your head. What? They test baby poop? Yes. <laughs> yes. They'll test baby poop to see if there's THC metabolites in it. And then they'll punish the mother. They'll take the kid away. They'll put the kid in child protective services. They'll put him in the foster care system, which statistics show is far worse for the kid than any outcome that could come from a, a mother using pot. And, and this is a very difficult section of our issue that we have to contend with. People who might not really care if someone smokes pot on their own could have a completely different outlook on a pregnant mother smoking pot that might affect the newborn. 
And the studies that we've gotten so far, the science we've gotten so far on pot use during pregnancy is often conflicting and incomplete. Back in the 70s, we had... uh, (laughs) It's... (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, reading my chat room there. But uh, back in the 70s, there was uh, Dr. Melanie Dreyer did an extensive study on mothers in Jamaica. And here's a place where we're talking about moms that are using ganja on a regular basis. And Dreyer's work found that there was really no significant differences between the children of moms that used pot versus moms that didn't. Subsequently, we've seen other studies that have come out that say they will uh, uh, be lower birth weight babies or they'll have more trouble uh, adjusting in one area or another. And folks, I've got, I'm of two minds on this. On the one hand, on the one hand, I think that the developing fetus is highly sensitive to many factors and that pregnant women shouldn't, should probably not even drink coffee. Caffeine might be bad for the baby, right? So I understand the need for caution and the want to uh, make sure that pregnant women are as healthy as they possibly can be. But I also think we do do need to do a little bit of cost-benefit analysis in this to understand that, yes, there might be an increased risk at some level for a pregnant woman using marijuana, but is her marijuana use helping medicinally in such a way that it actually improves the prospect of a healthy pregnancy. For example, if we've got a woman who's suffering from uh, hyperemesis, she's got terrible, terrible morning sickness, she's puking day and night from her pregnancy, how much nutrient deficiency will that baby suffer from that mom constantly being nauseous? How much stress in the womb does the baby suffer? from the mom constantly being sick. Then if, if we give that mom some cannabis and it alleviates her nausea to the point where she can keep food down and nourish that baby, isn't that worth it? Is there really so much of a terrible risk to the fetus and the newborn that outweighs protecting the health of the mother so she can continue with a healthy pregnancy? And especially considering the drugs that they will prescribe to pregnant moms and the side effects and the toxicity we know about those drugs in comparison to cannabis, it seems to me like we should be defaulting to the herb. It seems to me that cannabis should be the medicine of first resort when we're talking about these moms that are are, are having all these terrible issues. These are some considerations that we definitely, definitely need to take a look at and more science needs to be applied to this issue of pregnant women and their developing fetus. Kudos to the state of Indiana and Governor Mike Pence for having some compassion and trying to keep women involved in prenatal care. That's all the time we got for today, but before we go, some big news just broke iHeartRadio has just accepted the Russ Belleville Show and will be adding it to their index. Over the next 48 hours, I should be in the iHeartRadio app 
Thank you to all the engineers at CannabisRadio.com who helped make that possible. Great to be on iHeartRadio. For everyone here at Cannabis Radio Headquarters in Scottsdale, Arizona, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. Hour 2 is next. We'll take your calls at 971-533-7111. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down super. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tow. I inhale. Uh, frequently. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, tokers and tokets and non-toking lovers of liberty. Radical Russ here in the 4 o'clock hour in beautiful, sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. Looking out at the orange trees, the palm trees, the cacti, and Camelback Mountain. Sure is a beautiful day to be a marijuana law reformer. Glad you could be here with us. And thank you so much for your longtime support of the Russ Belleville Show because... Uh, I just got the news that we have reached another milestone in this odyssey of mine to talk about marijuana every day. <laughs> you know, I've been doing this since, well, actually since my 40th birthday. It's, it's really easy to remember. Uh, January 31st, 2008, I turned 40 and I took over the reins of the normal Daily Audio Stash podcast from Chris Goldstein. To, yeah. 2008. Now I think about like, was it really eight years ago? Yeah, it was <laughs> eight years ago that I started doing this and uh, did the daily audio stash, turned it into normal show live, uh, turned, uh, created the normal network, which then evolved into 420 radio, evolved my show into the Russ Belleville show. 
Now we've spun off 420 Radio as an all-music network, and I'm on exclusively here on CannabisRadio.com. So it's been a long, strange trip, and part of that trip has been getting on uh, Shoutcast and getting online and getting on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and all of these different outlets. And one of these outlets that's always been flummoxing me is the uh, iHeartRadio which is huge. iHeartRadio, formerly Clear Channel, is like the biggest uh, media player when it comes to radio these days. And I've never been able to break through and get on iHeartRadio, but I just got the news via chat a couple minutes ago that iHeartRadio has accepted the Russ Belleville show. In fact, it says uh, they've accepted my show and they will be adding it to their index so it will populate and appear in their app over the next 48 hours. So yay, you can get me on iHeartRadio now. Let's see if that'll get me into any of those uh, iHeartRadio festivals one of these days. That'll be fun. (laughs) That'll be a lot of fun. So we are uh, here in Scottsdale, Arizona. We got some great stories coming up in hour two here. And we've also got the phone lines open for your calls at 971-533-7111. We're going to talk a little bit about Judaism In the uh, next segment, we've got a very interesting release from my friends, uh, the Kaufmans in Oregon, who uh, are part of a Jewish themed cannabis website called Laor, a news organization with a a Jewish focus. Right. And uh, they've got a cannabis themed Passover idea that we're going to talk about in the next segment. And. You know, I got to give my uh, my disclaimer that when it comes to my knowledge of of Jewish tradition and and, and culture, uh, very little. <laughs> I grew up in Idaho, so there wasn't a whole lot of examples to learn from. So uh, you and I maybe we'll both learn a little bit in this next segment. Also coming up on hour two, we've got a small town in Colorado that banned all sorts of pot uh, licensing because you know pot's bad and evil and stuff. And now that the economy has turned sour on them, they're having some second thoughts. Hmm, maybe that pot stuff ain't so bad if it brings in tax revenue and creates jobs, huh? Also on the show, we are going to talk about another family trying to get medical marijuana who've discovered it's a miracle cure, but it's just too damn expensive for them to be able to use. Why a weed should be too expensive. (laughs) There's a lot of problems with that, isn't there? Stay tuned. We'll be back right after we pay a few bills here on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Oh, Cannabisradio.com. 
With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody, 8 after the hour, and I've got a new report from my friend Roy Kaufman out in Portland, Oregon. It's uh, featured on JewishJournal.com, and the title of the article is Jewish Group Releases Cannabis-Themed Passover Cedar Haggadah. And I hope I got all of the pronunciations correct on that. <laughs> Let me just read from uh, Roy's post. And, and by the way, uh, the way I know Roy Kaufman, uh, Roy was the campaign director for the ill-fated Measure 80 in Oregon in 2012, the one that we lost when Colorado and Washington were passing legalization. So Roy and I worked together on on some of the uh, the political aspects of Measure 80 back in 2012, and it was shortly after uh, that issue failed in the election that Roy got involved with his new group, he and his wife, uh, this new group called Laor, uh, which is L-E apostrophe O-R. And again, it's a, it's a Jewish themed cannabis uh, community. So I would encourage people to check that out. But uh, Roy writes, with the movement to repeal marijuana prohibition spreading across the United States and the Jewish holiday of Passover fast approaching, A husband and wife team in Oregon have produced a cannabis-themed Haggadah to help see this old tradition in a new light. The couple, Roy and Claire Kaufman, are urging Jews all over the world to download the custom Haggadah and host an adults-only cannabis cedar to explore the Jewish spiritual connection to the plant and the need for Jewish engagement in ending the horrific war on drugs and its resulting culture of of mass incarceration. Claire Kaufman, the co-founder of the nonprofit Laor, which is Hebrew for to light, says, quote, we hosted the inaugural cannabis cedar last year here in Portland. The cedar was such a fun, powerful and uplifting experience for all of us that we wanted to share it with the community worldwide. The Haggadah creators hope people will download the Haggadah and invite their friends, neighbors, parents, grandparents and coworkers to a kinder cedar table. 
The goal of hosting a cannabis cedar is to provide a familiar and fun venue to have a new, often uncomfortable conversation about marijuana prohibition, race, and justice. Why is Passover a time to tell this story? Because the story of mass incarceration and the oppressions of prohibition parallel the Exodus story. Adam Eidinger of Dr. Bronner's, the event's main sponsor, and also Adam will be a guest on our show next Tuesday to promote the uh, DC smoke-in that he's organizing. Adam said, quote, attending Lahore's Cannabis Cedar last year, I realized just how far we have come bringing an amazing life-affirming plant out of the shadows, end quote. He also added, the Cannabis Cedar reminded me that to be free, we've had to struggle. The original Haggadah includes traditional and new songs, suggestions for the host, reflective readings by luminaries like the new Jim Crow author, Michelle Alexander, discussion prompts, and riffs on classic cedar elements. The resulting cannabis cedar is an enlightening experience for the open-minded, the cannabis curious, and the cannabis connoisseur alike. Roy Kaufman says, quote, by giving everyone the opportunity to experience a cannabis cedar, we hope to erode the stigma of the drug war that the drug war has given cannabis by making the plant a part of our religious and spiritual practice. We want people to spark up new conversations among Jews, between Jews, and the communities most affected by the scourge of prohibition, namely communities of color. With empathy comes change, end quote. Now, you can download this uh, Haggadah at jews-and-weed.myshopify.com. And that's kind of a long address. So uh, on the break, I will get a, a short link for you on that. Uh, that'll be a little easier to find. But uh, we'll, we'll provide that in the chat room here in just a second. I'll also uh, tweet it out on my Radical Russ account. So stay tuned for that. And uh, proceeds from the tax-deductible donation go to support Laor's engagement and education efforts. And again, you can get to Laor by going to Illuminating. Dot us. If you're interested in Laor, the nonprofit uh, for the Jewish uh, perspective on cannabis legalization and ending prohibition, you can find that at illuminating.us. Fascinating uh, story, and it's interesting to me how different groups and different uh, organizations from different communities are starting to organize around the theme of cannabis. And I'd like to see this extend to other denominations as well. Uh, wouldn't it be nice to see some sort of a Catholic cannabis communion? Wouldn't that be fun? Or uh, some sort of a, a Protestant group to, to speak out for this or, or Islamic groups to speak out for this. It would seem to me that given the Abrahamic faiths, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are all based around the same founding concepts and founding texts and when that Genesis story on the very first page says that the creator made the herb-bearing seeds to be used as meat, uh, it would seem to me that all three of the world's major religions should have some sort of focus on restoring access to cannabis. Now, if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you know I'm not a religious guy. You know that I'm very secular, very Carl Sagan, scientific skeptic kind of guy. That is not to say that I'm not spiritual. And it's not to say that I discount the spiritual uh, awakenings and understandings that other people have. I just don't see it myself. I, I always like to uh, 
consider it like I'm a blind guy. You know, maybe religious people out there just have a sense that I lack. And they're like sighted people trying to explain rainbows to a blind guy. And in my experience, I don't see rainbows. I'm blind to it, right? So this spiritual effect, this some people in Christianity talk about a relationship with Christ. Uh, other people in Islam talk about submission to Allah. In Judaism, they talk about, you know, getting in touch with the creator and good for them. And I'm glad people see that. And I think generally it can be a positive thing. It doesn't seem to happen for me, but I am still fascinated by it. And I'm fascinated by how religion has so demonized this cannabis plant, right? And it goes along. This is it. This, I I have a secular argument for this too, right? Uh, I've told you before about how, when I was growing up as a kid, You'd see rap videos on MTV and I shouldn't say kid. I was in my twenties, but you see rap videos on MTV and they'd blur out the pot leaf. If somebody had a pot leaf medallion or a pot leaf on their hat, right? They'd blur it out. And on that side, on the secular side, and then on the religious side, on on any either side of this issue, it always seems odd to me that we blur out that we, that we castigate and, and cast aspersions upon a symbol of nature. The pot leaf, the cannabis leaf. Now, I understand if MTV wants to ban symbols of rolled joints or smoked bongs or needles or or lines of cocaine or anything that indicates drug usage. I can understand the argument behind that. You're, you're, you're putting out videos for kids. You don't want to encourage the usage of drugs. I, I understand that. From a religious standpoint, I could understand why Religions are against processed heroin and cocaine and alcohol and so forth because mankind has taken some creation and then perverted it for, for heathenistic needs for, you know, (laughs) for someone just wanting to get high. I, I could even see that logic, but for a religion to ban something the creator made makes no sense whatsoever. It it fails internal logical consistency. I am the Lord thy God and I have created all you can see and it is all good except that, (laughs) except that pot plant. Oh, don't, don't touch that. And with the MTV analogy, it's like banning the sight of the pot leaf. No, first of all, nobody smokes the pot leaf. People smoke the pot buds. You might even have a better argument if you're talking about banning the sight of buds, but that argument would fail because we're still allowed to show poppy flowers, aren't we? Nobody freaks out about the display of a coca leaf, do they? No, it's the, it's the needle of the heroin that came from the poppy that's a problem. It's the line of the cocaine that came from the coca that's the problem. So that's why I've always found it weird. And it, it, again, goes back to that Ehrlichman quote we talked about in the first hour about how the war on drugs and particularly marijuana was fostered not because the marijuana was any problem, but because we wanted to control the people that were using it. We wanted to be able to infiltrate them and arrest them and demonize them and, and undercut their power. That's why that cannabis leaf is so foreboding. That's why these religions have always had a negative perspective on it. Nothing to do with the, the creation of the leaf itself or what the leaf itself actually is. 
but more what that leaf has come to stand for. That it came to stand for rebellion and liberalism and pacifism, which ironically enough, if you study uh, the stories in Christian lore and Jewish lore, uh, Old Testament stories even, talk a lot about rejecting the status quo and rebelling against the uh, establishment and fighting to heal people and to respect and recognize nature. Kind of ironic, isn't it? But we'll keep, uh, we'll keep telling people about this and we will keep promoting the religious awakening to their own creations. It seems to me that religious people should be the first people in line to end marijuana prohibition. What government has the right to tell us, God's children, that something God created is forbidden to us? It makes no sense from a religious standpoint, and it's time for religious people to start speaking up. Is it getting chilly in here, or are you wearing an anatomically correct bra? (laughs) I don't even know what that means, but uh, happy 420, everyone. It's 420 here in Scottsdale, Arizona, and the rest of the Pacific Coast. And it's 420 wherever you are, if you just want it to be. I hope you've got some to enjoy your safety briefing. We'll be right back with more on the Russ Belleville Show, Topo Talk Radio, right after this. Tommy Chong Show on Cannabis Radio. You know about this podcast. What I really want to do from now on is to solve world problems. I feel like my job is to calm everybody down and focus on how we can save this planet. The Tommy Chong Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. This is the Russ Belleville Show. Annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. Cannabisradio.com. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com.
You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 23 after the hour. Hope you had yourself a great safety briefing. I'm going to turn now to a story that I found in the New York Times. And uh, it's another one of those double-edged sword type of stories. On the one hand, but on the other hand, and it's a story about Hotchkiss, Colorado. Hotchkiss, Colorado is a mountain town uh, of coal miners and organic farmers. And when Colorado legalized marijuana in 2012, their local leaders rushed to ban recreational and medical marijuana shops from their town. And this is uh, one of the downsides of legalization is we have these local options that have to be put in the laws or else they won't get passed that allow the more regressive rural communities to ban marijuana licensing. They just didn't want to see any pot shops in their little mining mountain town. But then the economy took a dive. Coal mining, especially. One of the mines around the Hotchkiss area was shut down and there were coal bankruptcies and slowdowns and another mine that says it's going to go dark. And this is something we've seen in West Virginia and Wyoming and other states as well. Coal is on the way out. And as Hotchkiss is trying to figure out how to keep its economy rolling, just three years after legalization, they're asking, hmm, what about marijuana? According to Thomas Wills, a town trustee says, quote, if we could get it legalized right now, we could create some jobs and we need the tax revenue. Downtown's not going to be all flashing green crosses and dancing marijuana leaves. You can make it as unobtrusive as you want, end quote. Oh, so now that you need some money, the idea of legal marijuana is okay to you. So next month, Hotchkiss is going to vote on whether or not to undo, you know, repeal its ban and to allow marijuana licensees. Cannabis sales are up to about a billion dollars in Colorado and California is looking to legalize. So these towns like Hotchkiss, these little towns are starting to reconsider whether or not marijuana ought to be legal in their town. Now, one of the things I like to bring up about this, and this is the double-edged sword part, is I do like that these economic pressures are forcing these small towns to reconsider, that they're realizing they can't maintain the high price of their bigotry anymore. That's that's generally a good thing. And I love this... uh, this fellow from the the town saying they can be as unobtrusive as you want, right? They they always could have been as unobtrusive. Nobody ever said by legalizing marijuana that your town has to have marijuana billboards and flashing green pot leafs and bikini sign twirlers and all of that. Of course, a city can come up with its own regulations, its own zoning, its own ordinances to make the marijuana dispensaries as non-obtrusive as possible. I can't tell you how many stories I've covered where somebody will be complaining about some medical marijuana outlet, say in California, and I'll go to the Google Street View and it'll take me quite a bit of time to figure out which one of those buildings is the dispensary. So many of them are just 
frosted glass, no signs, no outward appearance type of locations. And it's also always frustrated me as to what terrible outcome these small towns think having a pot shop is going to cause. It's not like we're talking about opening up a tavern where people are going to drive their cars to a parking lot, get out, go into a building, get themselves fucked up, get back into their car in the parking lot and drive away. That never seems to bother anybody. Sure, open up a bar, no big deal. But talk about opening up a pot shop and everybody has these crazy ideas as to some end of civilization extinction level event that's going to occur because you now have a building where adults can go in, purchase marijuana and walk out. We're not talking about them using it there. We're not talking about them congregating outside and having smoke sessions. It's a building where people go in and go out. That's all. And the only thing that's bothering a lot of these small towns is their own knowledge of what's going on in there. It's not like the kids know what's going on in there or or think anything untoward of it or it's going to cause any sort of mayhem. It's just... It's just personal discomfort. It's personal bigotry and prejudice against cannabis consumers that has people thinking, oh my God, there's a, there's a building over there and, and potheads are getting pot there. Oh no. And, and again, what's, what's the issue? So as Hotchkiss moves forward on this, let's hope they do move forward on this. Let's hope next month they do vote on this and allow marijuana retailers to come into the, into the city and bring in that tax revenue and bring in that foot traffic and bring up the job numbers and, and the economy in that town. I'm all for it. But here's the other side of the equation. Here's that double-edged sword I was talking about. Part of why marijuana is seen right now is this huge economic engine is because it's still falsely propped up by the price supports of national prohibition. It's still propped up by the necessary restrictions on cultivation, production, and retailing that having to abide by the coal memo fosters. What I'm saying here is, yeah, your pot shop looks like a great economic opportunity when the people inside it are selling buds at $10 a gram, when they're selling ounces at $300 an ounce. But those prices aren't going to last. This may be, this, this period, 2012 to 2016, may be the last period where prohibition profiteering still bolsters the marijuana market. When California comes online with legal marijuana and we unleash the northern Emerald Triangle areas, to grow on a commercial basis. We are going to see such a flooding of the marijuana market. We will have the entire West and Southwest legal Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona, and Nevada and Colorado. This entire Western region that has already been producing marijuana like crazy when it was illegal. Wait till it's unleashed to produce marijuana legally. And it might take some time to ramp up because the California one has like a five-year moratorium on the mega grows. So it might take a time to, to, to ramp up. But I'm saying by 2020, 
by 2020, the idea of a $10 gram is going to be history. By 2020, we're going to see $3 grams, $250 a gram. We're going to see ounces at the $50 to $100 level. And while that's good for those of us who are the consumers, for those of us who are pushing to try to get marijuana accepted in some of these rural locations, and we're using the carrot and stick approach, and the carrot is the great amount of money that can be made, what happens to that carrot when it becomes a baby carrot? (laughs) What happens when suddenly the economic part of it isn't so compelling anymore. What happens when a pot shop is no more profitable or less profitable than a vegetable stand? Does that put the brakes on some of these rural places wanting to accept marijuana? Does that allow them to continue fostering their prejudices and their bigotry because now there is no economic uh, incentive to reject it? I've often said that in this green rush, the sooner you legalize, the more you reap. Being the 10th state to legalize marijuana means something. Being the 10th state means that people from the other 40 may come to visit. But if you're the 49th state to legalize marijuana, (laughs) how much interest is there in visiting you? I mean... Consider, think, think, about, think about gambling and how that progressed across the United States. For the longest time, the only places you could gamble in the United States were Nevada and Atlantic City. That was it. There was no lotteries. There was no Indian casinos. There was no video poker lotteries like we have in Oregon. It was all it, Nevada, Atlantic City. That was it. And both of those areas did quite well being the only two places in America where you could legally gamble. But then what happened? Well, we, we got the lottery. We got the statewide lotteries and the Powerball and all of that. We, we recognized the sovereignty of the Native American tribes to regulate gambling in whatever way they saw fit. Before you knew it, we had not only Native American casinos on reservation land in just about every state, But we also started to see the revival of riverboat gambling where the states along the Mississippi River allowed for gambling so long as it was on a boat on the Mississippi River. Now, it didn't actually have to be traveling along the river. It could be permanently parked (laughs) with a dock leading up to it. But as long as it's on the water, it's legal. So since we've had that proliferation of gambling, what's happened to Atlantic City and Nevada? Well, Atlantic City is damn near bankrupt. Atlantic City has gone to hell in a handbasket. It's no longer that special a place when you can go to any number of Indian casinos in Connecticut or New York or any of the surrounding areas. Nevada's done somewhat better, but a lot of that has been through Las Vegas diversifying its appeal to being more than just a Sin City gambling mecca to now being as family friendly as Times Square. So as gambling progressed across the nation, it became less and less of a draw. It became less and less of an economic engine. And the same thing is going to happen with marijuana. These first nine states that we'll have legal, Alaska, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Arizona, Massachusetts, Maine, those nine 
they may be the ones that get the big slice of the pie and the ones that follow from that point on may be just scrambling to collect some of the crumbs, some of the scraps from the table. So Hotchkiss, you better get on it now. The time is now to get in the marijuana movement, to get that marijuana economy going in your community, to replace the jobs and the tax revenue that you're losing from the decline of coal mining. Because the more states that legalize, the farther along we go in legalization across this country, the less of an economic engine it's going to become as the supply and price of marijuana, the supply goes up and the price continues to decline. We need to be ready for that. We need to be wary about how much we sell the economic side of marijuana legalization, knowing that that economy is going to change drastically once the prohibition price supports crumble. Keep that in mind, folks. We should legalize because it's the right thing to do. We should legalize because prohibition is cruel and unnecessary. Any monetary benefit we get from it? Well, that's just icing on the cake, ain't it? All right, we're going to take a break, pay some more bills. When we come back, we go back to the state of New York where an Albany man could use some medical marijuana but can't afford it. See, that's the other side of that double-edged sword I'm talking about. Be right back in just two minutes. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's uh, 38 after the hour, and, you know, we, we spoke to Joshua Haupt in our first hour, uh, epileptic, who, as a teenager, discovered that cannabis was, was helpful for him. 
and, and we, we tell many stories like that on the show. And we got another one of these. And it's coming to us from uh, NBC10.com, an ABC news station in uh, Albany, New York. And the title of it is, Albany Family Says Medical Marijuana Too Costly for Man Who Needs It Most. And it discusses a local woman uh, who's trying to help her brother. Uh, he's been suffering daily seizures for 20 years. Daily seizures for 20 years. He's confined to a wheelchair has an extremely rare form of epilepsy. So the family was very excited when New York State approved its medical marijuana law back in 2014. And it doesn't allow access to whole plant medical marijuana, doesn't allow access to buds, but does allow access to oils that could be very helpful. And in fact, they, they got him on these treatments and they found that the oils were very helpful to this man after 20 years of nearly daily seizures. His family writes, quote, Ricky started out as any other normal child. When he was four years old, he had his first seizure. Since then, much of his life has been spent in hospitals, doctor's appointments, and medicated to the brink of toxicity. His epilepsy is more severe than most people could ever imagine. It's not uncommon for him to have more than 80 complex seizures in a day. 80. If that's incomprehensible for most to imagine, think of having to endure that for 20 years, two decades of not being able to participate in daily activities that many take for granted, such as enjoying a meal with the family or attending a birthday party. By the age of seven, he underwent the first of multiple brain surgeries. The goal was to remove the left half of his brain to stop the seizures. I, I can't even wrap my head around this. We're going to fix your seizures by taking out half of your brain. That's how far medical science will go to try to help an epileptic before considering giving him pot. That's how, that's how dastardly Anslinger's prohibition and propaganda against cannabis has gotten. That doctors would actually consider removing half of your brain ignorant of the fact that cannabis could probably save all that brain. So he had the surgery. They removed half his brain. They paralyzed him. Those, that, that, that procedure, surprising, right? You remove half the guy's brain. They removed the left half of his brain. It paralyzed him on his right side, which, you know, you know how the brain is backwards, right? Left side controls the right. Right side controls the left. You remove the left side of his brain. Suddenly he can't use the right side of his body. But that didn't stop the seizures. So now the guy's got half a brain, half a body, and 100% of the seizures. He's tried other surgeries. He, he tried, um, according to the family, he also tried the Vegas nerve stimulator as well as special diets and every anti-convulsing medication possible. Not a single one of these treatments significantly reduced his seizures. Ricky is one of the few people in our country with this specific type of epilepsy. He has every type of seizure, ranging from grand mal to small stare-offs. His case is extremely unique. What's left of his brain fires off seizures from multiple areas, making it hard to pinpoint where exactly it's coming from. Ricky's constant seizures are the biggest obstacle he faces in his life. He's not able to go out and do what he enjoys without fear of a seizure. 
They leave him tired, anxious, aggravated, embarrassed, and unfocused. He has to be under 24-hour care and constant monitoring. After Ricky started medical marijuana oil to manage his seizures, his life changed for the better. He was having significantly less seizures, and their intensity decreased. He was finally able to truly immerse and enjoy doing what he likes without the constant fear of a seizure ruining it. He was less anxious to leave the house and to try new things. He was much more focused and able to retain information like never before. This newfound relief reflected in his personality. He was more positive and relaxed. Ricky was also able to hold conversations without a seizure interrupting his thoughts. The tension in his family's home decreased as well. Family time was spent with more laughs and less worry about the next time a seizure was going to send him to the hospital. Ricky finally had the relief he so badly wanted, and it's been ripped away from him because of money. Because of money. The cost for one year of medical marijuana oil treatments in New York State for Ricky is $24,000. Imagine this family, they, they've for two decades dealt with Ricky in his wheelchair, paralyzed on half his side, half his body, has half a brain, has 80 seizures a day. They finally get him some cannabis oil. His life changes for the better. He can communicate. He's present. He's there. He's able to live a life. And then they have to stop because they, they can't afford it. a month. They can't afford it. And now Ricky has slid back to square one. He's back to where he was. He's back to life in his wheelchair, back to 80 seizures a day, back to not being able to live a full and engaging life with the people who love him because it's just too expensive. And we all know why it's too expensive. We all know that in New York state, Their law doesn't allow patients to grow their own cannabis. Their law doesn't allow patients to use cannabis, period. They have to use a processed oil. So New York State has limited it to a few locations that can grow this stuff. Uh, Ten, I think. Five. Some limited number like that. Artificially creating a scarcity of this product. And furthermore, increasing the scarcity by having so few places to buy it And such an arduous process to actually get a hold of it. Here's a family that's doing everything by the book, obeying the law, waiting for New York State to finally pass medical marijuana. And they still can't participate because the price is too high. If New York State had a program where people could grow their own plants, there'd be a line of people ready to grow plants for Ricky. There'd be a line of people ready to grow that weed, process it into oil, and provide it to him at cost. It's not going to happen. $24,000 a year just so this guy can have a life. And of course, it being medical marijuana, why insurance isn't going to pay for that? Gee, if, if they wanted to spend fifty grand on some of those toxic anti-convulsant medications, I'm sure the insurance would cough up for that. But no, not the one non-toxic, non-psychoactive treatment that actually helps this man with half a brain and half a body. No, we can't cover that. It's an illegal drug. 
So that's the flip side. That's that double-edged sword I was talking about in that previous story with Hotchkiss Colorado. And yeah, let's get medical marijuana in here so we can make money, so we can have jobs. So we, Yeah, but that's all built on the same prohibition price support that makes it so Ricky in Albany has to suffer. That's why I worry about the, mo- the money aspect of this. That's why I worry when so much of our proselytizing for legalization gets wrapped up around how much tax revenue and it's the new green rush and it's the new economy. And yes, it's all that. Sure. But if we base our marijuana rights, if we base our marijuana laws on how much money it's going to make for society, how much tax revenue is going to generate the sin taxes that might be attached to it, then we provide an incentive to keep those prices high. If the government gets addicted to making 10, 20, 25, 30% tax revenue on a $300 ounce, they're not going to make as much tax revenue if that ounce drops down to 50 bucks. We need to be careful that as we're making these laws, we're not creating perverse incentives to maintain the prohibition price supports in the service of making sure our economy is booming and people make money. And in doing so, condemn people like Ricky to a life of suffering that is unnecessary. Now, I think there's a way this can be done. I think there's a way where we can legalize marijuana and in the legalization of it, consider the plight of the less needy, consider the most sick and disabled people. I'd be willing to support an additional tax on recreational marijuana that goes into a fund that provides relief, cannabis medicines for the people who desperately need it that are in these financial straits like this. I don't think there's a single recreational smoker out there that would object to such a thing. We are some of the most kind, compassionate, giving people on the planet. And I don't think anybody in this movement that has a soul wants to get rich off of a prohibition price support knowing that it, it devastates these families, that these prices are out of control. One of, one of the major reasons why I'm so supportive of medical marijuana and so appreciative of medical marijuana is it breaks us free from that pharmaceutical medical industrial complex, that it breaks us free from healthcare in this country being three times the cost it is in any other country. It breaks us free from the domination of the big pharmaceutical industries that know they can keep the prices jacked up. The Martin Shkreli's of the world that jack AIDS drugs up to $750 a pill. Medical marijuana is the Protestant reformation of medicine. Think about that. Back in the day, pre-1600s, the Holy Roman Church, Holy Roman Empire, Catholic Church was both church and state. It was the politics of the day. And at the heart of it was this idea that the only way you could gain your salvation from original sin was through Jesus. And the only way you could get to Jesus was through the Pope. And the only way you get through the Pope was through the Cardinals, through the bishops, through the father, through the priest. Basically there's this whole bureaucracy, this whole ecclesiastical bureaucracy you have to go through to get your salvation. And of course that ecclesiastical bureaucracy led to the Holy Roman empire and the, and the Roman Catholic church, 
amassing trillions in fortune. And then a guy named Martin Luther read the Bible and he said, hey, you know what? I've been reading this Bible thing and um, it says that I don't need this whole ecclesiastical bureaucracy. I can go straight to Jesus himself and get my salvation. That was what the whole Protestant Reformation was. And for 500 years, there have been wars and terrorism fighting over that. Fighting over the idea of breaking, breaking the monopoly that the bureaucracy had over our salvation. And again, I'm not a religious person. I'm still speaking in that metaphor, right? And that's what medical marijuana is to the medical industrial complex. It is the Protestant Reformation. It says we don't need the medical bureaucracy of the nurse and the doctor and the hospital and the pharmacist and the drug company and the FDA to get our salvation. We can go straight to the creator. We can go straight to the plant. We can have our own salvation in our own hands and not have to pay a dime for it if we grow it ourselves. That's why medical marijuana is such a threat to society. At least the establishment. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. 
Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing... I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Closing up shop here at Cannabis Radio headquarters in Scottsdale. But we've got a bunch of great shows coming up over the next few days here on the Russ Belleville Show, which, as we mentioned earlier, is now available on iHeartRadio. So excited for that. Coming up on tomorrow's show, Cops Say Legalized Drugs. We've got Lieutenant Tony Ryan, former Denver Police Department. Tell us all about what's happening since we've legalized in Colorado. On Friday, we've got Alec Rockford joining us. He's from the Doobie website, D-U-B-Y, which is a new online social media for cannabis consumers. We'll ask him all about that on Mon- on uh, Friday's show. On Monday, I will be in Las Vegas, Nevada. We'll be bringing you a week of shows from Las Vegas. Starting on Monday with our regular segment, Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. We'll finally get Dr. Mitch back on the line after all my technical difficulties and travel schedule. On Tuesday, Adam Einiger joins us from the DC Cannabis Coalition. He's in charge of that DC smokeout that'll be happening next Saturday. So on Tuesday, we're going to ask him all about it and uh, how many people he's expecting to show. On Wednesday, we've got another great guest on the show, Doug Fine, for our regular Hemp Day Hump Day update segment. We'll learn all about industrial hemp throughout the United States. Next Thursday, I will be off because I'll be on a plane uh, flying back uh, from Las Vegas to Portland. And on Friday, April 1st, we'll be back in Portland, Oregon, back at Rolla J Studios. And uh, we've got Matt joining us from MedX. We'll talk all about MedX and their dispensary system. Coming up in the first week of April, more great guests, including Chris Thompson. He'll be joining us next Tuesday from Normal to update us on their membership drive. And, of course, we've got all sorts of great events coming up in April. Oh, things get real busy once we start to hit that middle of April. On April 13th, on a Wednesday, I will be at the Moda Center. That's right, the Moda Center in Portland, Oregon, at a pre-party for the 420 Games, which is putting on a special with Cliff Robinson, the former uh, trailblazer, who has now started his own cannabis line, Uncle Spliffy. We will do our show live from the uh, from the uh, VIP suite <laughs> up in the uh, up in the press box area of the Moda Center for the Blazers versus the Nuggets. Blazers versus Nugs. Portland versus Denver. It can't get more weed-friendly than that. So check that out Wednesday the 13th. From the 14th through the 16th, I'll be at the Patients at a Time Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. From the 17th and 18th, I'll be at Mark Kleiman's Cannabis Summit in New York State, in New York City. And the 19th through the 21st, including 420, I'll be at the United Nations General Assembly Special Session on Drugs, bringing you coverage of the international fight to end marijuana prohibition. That's all the time we got for today. Thanks for joining us. And unfortunately, no live stoner Jesus, but stay tuned till 6. Top of the next hour, we got the new Tommy Chong podcast coming your way on CannabisRadio.com. For everyone here in Scottsdale, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com.
it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plan it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.